Welcome to episode 105 of Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever discussing our passion for Linux. I'm Ryan, and with me today are the podcasting, or the kings of podcasting. Zeb, how are you this week, sir? I'm doing really well, thank you. And yourself? I'm doing awesome. And Michael, how are you this week? Fantastic. And Noah, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing all right. Awesome. So, Zeb, what is new with you this week? Um, well, a bit of a you know, a bit of a same old same old with me installing distributions and trying them out. Um, but I actually decided today to join uh, Jason Evangelo. That's the new chap that's come over to Linux from Forbes, and he's um, on Twitter put out a two-week elementary OS challenge. Uh, to just use it instead of distro hopping, instead of Windows, instead of your usual Linux distribution. So I'm running it now. Um, I only set it up two hours ago. Um, and so far, it's pretty good. So we're going we're gonna to see how that goes. That's awesome. I saw that. And we're in the works of maybe getting him on the show as a guest. So that will be awesome. Noah, what have you been up to this week, sir? I uh, So some of you know that I have gotten a second part-time job uh, that is turning uh taking more and more time out at a, a radio station and this week uh they came to me and they said we want to start doing more web presence stuff i said well that'd be great um i would go ahead and utilize this technology called linux i would go ahead and utilize um technologies like rtmp and obs and some of these open open software techniques and and tools and uh, they said okay so what kind of budget are we looking at here thirty thousand thirty five thousand fifty thousand about free, uh, give or take a couple bucks here for, you know, some USB audio interfaces, but about, about in the free area ish. Uh, and, um, and so, and so they, they went out and I think they were in a little bit of disbelief, but we went out and we did an event and I got a chance to work with uh, one of the best sports casters in this area. And he went out and called a boys wrestling match. And we did the entire broadcast using entirely uh, Linux and open source based software. Wow. And uh, we got done. And within a couple of hours, the work that we had done made it all the way up to the owner of the broadcasting company, the, the president of the organization, uh, who doesn't even live here. And as far as I know, it's the first time he's ever heard my name. And part of that was that they were blown away of the quality and the product that could be put out uh, when you harness open source and Linux. And so, to and it, it, you know. I didn't go into that business environment with the idea of I want to introduce people to Linux. Of course, I'm always the guy that's willing to do that if the opportunity presents itself. But I was there mm -hmm. to learn the trade of talk radio, not necessarily to tell them about technology. And uh, they're operating system agnostic. Like they just want the best tool the for the job. They could care less. But everything else that they had tried to get this kind of product on the air, anything, any other roads that they'd ever gone down, apparently had not led to success. Linux and open source got them there. And so it's awesome. Yeah. To me, it, it really, I think those are way more of a, a testament to the, to the future of Linux than the people that come into it and say, well, I have, I have an allegiance or I have a, a commitment to open source software. So how can I do this in open source? Because the, the presupposition there is that person is already ready to use Linux and open source. So when you can take people that just have high, high quality demands and high quality requirements and they come into it, and then open source fits that niche, and then open source fills that gap. Now we know that that's a real professional tool in a broadcast environment in this particular case, 
And I think that bodes really well for what the future is going to be for Linux. Nice. Love it. Well, congratulations. It was a pretty good broadcast. That yeah. was fun. So, Michael, what kind of trouble have you had this week? Because we know computers can be really tough for you. So is it a disk problem, uh, editing issue? So I actually <laughs> improved certain things. I now have a lot of disk space to use. Um, okay. I, I got we rid of a whole 50 megs. I got a whole terabyte now. And wow. uh, yes, I deleted a bunch of stuff that I found a drive that I hadn't looked at in like three or four years. And I was like, oh, I could use that. And it just deleted mostly everything that was on there. But uh, what, I, what actually was interesting I did recently was uh, this past Wednesday, I, I did a, an episode, a co-host for Floss Weekly on the Twit Network. And we talked about uh, Monero, uh, blockchain, you know, cryptocurrency, things like that with uh, the Tari project. And it was really interesting to, you know, if you're interested in blockchain or cryptocurrency, that's a, you know, good episode to check out because I did wonderful as a co-host. Wow. What I found interesting (laughs) about that is I had absolutely no idea technically what that chat was talking about, but he had such a passion for what he was doing. Mm -hmm. He made it interesting. It was really, really good. You're talking about Ricardo? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was it, it, yeah. it was it's really interesting to listen to him too. He's done like a couple talks at like DefCon and things, and it's, it's he approaches it depending on whose audience is, where he you know does the super technical stuff or just the interesting like overview kind of mm-hmm. thing. So this one was more like a combination of the two. Yeah, the people who are in cryptocurrency are in it like people who are into Linux. It's a very much a passion for them, and they love to talk about it. And just when I did that video on cryptocurrency recently on my channel, whole new audience of people kind of in there digging into the cryptocurrency and Bitcoins and all of that stuff and, and the blockchain technology. It's a very cool thing to just spend some time getting out there and yeah. learning. All right, so this episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with an intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and more. You can get all of this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month or You can use the flexible pricing structure for as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That's darn near free, Michael, 0.7 cents per hour. That's only seven-tenths of one cent per hour. DigitalOcean also has 2,000 cloud-agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open-source software languages and frameworks, and I've used probably 1,500 of them myself because I love their tutorials. Uh, so get started with DigitalOcean for free with a $100 credit. That's $100 in credit by going to do.co slash DL. That's do.co slash DL. Yeah, and there's also a good uh, update to the previous episode. We talked about setting up an Etherpad. I built one. It works good. We're going to try it next week. So we're going to you know, drop the ridiculous Google Docs thing that Zeb loves no. for some reason. And we're gonna <laughs> and we're gonna try out either pad, and it's gonna be it's gonna be great. I'm so happy. I can't wait. All I'm right, gonna, I'm gonna probably switch over to Etherpad for uh, for my show as well. Uh, not that I use Google Docs to begin with, but uh, I've I use something else. Yeah, and uh, I think Etherpad would be better. Anyway, uh, we invite you to send us an email. Uh, Chris did the did that this week, and Chris says, "Good day, guys." 
Been listening to the podcast for a bit and hitting all of the older ones I can find. Great job on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Nice. Let me tell a long tale. So you're forced to read a bit of history before the juicy bits. I've been a Linux hobbyist enthusiast for the past 20 years, starting with an old version of Mandrake Linux back in the Windows 2000 days. I put together a PC from parts scavenged, loaded with Mandrake, and gave it to a family member who had no computer and wanted their son with learning disabilities. I put in, I put in an ad in the newspaper, which is how they contacted me. Since then, I've been tinkering with Linux and shown my own sons what got them interested through, through our major desktop focus, Windows and uh, ugh, focus and always Windows thanks to gaming. Every few months or so, I had an urge to load several distros and hop around on hardware that I've been testing to see if I could move over permanently. This has been a pattern of mine for years. Fast forward to the past month, I've decided to take another stab at getting on Linux primarily, and I'm still in the process of giving everything sorted out so that gaming is something that I have limited time for and don't typically play the latest games. Proton certainly has caught my eye. The juicy bit is that I've been dangling since you have read the subject line is that i work for microsoft that's right ladies and gentlemen he works for microsoft <laughs> and i've been supporting microsoft technologies my entire career for a very long time while at microsoft i've supported sharepoint skype for business microsoft teams and pretty much all of office 365 i have been sad that we say microsoft loves linux and i couldn't see it from where i was sitting from within microsoft I knew that we all did some things regarding Linux and open source, but I had no insight into the large company, to say the least. A few weeks ago, I, find, I found out that there was an opening to work with our customers supporting their open source workloads running on Azure. So I applied and I got hired. Congratulations. I, congratulations. I will now see within the next couple of weeks. Uh, to our, I will now within the next couple of weeks be working to support open source community and Linux as part of Microsoft. I intend to be spreading the open source software knowledge within Microsoft, and maybe get some peers to run Linux on their work machines. This is an open invitation. If you have any questions around Microsoft technologies or strategies, I'm happy to answer them. I'm not part of Sache's team or anything. Was way further down the organization chart, but I'm happy to share what I can. I hear that other product. I hear that other podcasts poop on Microsoft while at the same time spouting things that are incorrect. I don't hear that from Destination Linux, and I'm thankful for that. Minus Seb's statement about Microsoft being an evil machine. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> yeah, technically, you just said Michael was an evil du dual booter. Yeah, he was talking about booter. Michael, Wait, not Microsoft. Whoa, and it was whoa. and it was a filthy dual booter, which Michael is. That's, That's not true. not true. <laughs> Fake. So I agree. Machine, Fake news. The, the machine is not evil. Michael is filthy for his dual booting. That's right. Anyway. I'm also open to discussing within the Telegram community, but I haven't outed myself as a mole for Microsoft. <laughs> so we have to find him in that chat. Maybe we can no. get, get our guest on the show to find and uncover who we it is. We don't want to do that. And I'll, I'll no. tell you why. Because okay. he, so, and here's the thing. There's a natural inclination for people to say, how could anybody that values open source work at Microsoft or Apple or Google or whatever? Here's... The way that you're framing that conversation wrong, you're framing that question wrong, and you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. The question you should be asking yourself is, if we want Microsoft to do more open source things, how do we get more people like those guys yeah. to work for Microsoft? Not the other way. We don't want to take the people that are working for Microsoft to open source, take them out of Microsoft. That doesn't make any sense. That's backwards. Let's get more of those people into Microsoft, into Apple, into Google, and mm -hmm. try to change those companies from the inside out. Yep. Well, he, he may not have outed himself in Telegram before, but by signing the email Chris, 
He just did. <laughs> we only have one Chris in the Telegram group. But yeah, he could be. It could be fake. He could be signed in as Michael, which would be a brilliant idea. So we never. <laughs> right. But the Maybe point of this, his real name is probably Albert. There was a lot he, of. He's probably got his this. his Telegram name is probably Christosoff. Christos. <laughs> we'll never figure out who it is. Uh, there's a lot of great points in this email, but one of the things I was really proud of is the fact that we haven't gone out there and just beat up on different products and things for their mm -hmm. use cases, except for Michael being a filthy dual booter. But outside mm -hmm. of that, we totally wouldn't do that. And I love that that got called out. But I also love that he's been able to find his way career-wise into utilizing Linux mm -hmm. in his career. And it's helped him get a new job within Microsoft, which is a very cool place to be working on those open source projects because there's just probably a ton of work and growth potential going on there with all the activity mm. in the market related to cloud services and open source. So uh, it's kind of benefited multiple ways there. And that's just kind of proof of how this is fun and we all love it, but it also could be something you can make uh, a living off of and help your career with as well. Yep, it's a it's a great op, and also to reiterate Noah's point, like the idea that you know we should be you know uh, of some some reason offended or whatever because people use these they're part of these different companies that you know the the Apple or Microsoft if they're a part of it you kind of have an opportunity to you know if they're already there to convince them to you know change things in Microsoft or or maybe even infiltrate certain sections of the thing so that it allows them to uh, change more of their uh, their, the idea of their company so that the the end goal could be not only just a to hate Microsoft, but maybe Microsoft to become a partner for the, the actual ecosystem. I mean, uh, I don't, I'm not saying that they're doing that right now, but there's at least now there's a potential chance that they might. So that's, uh, you know, that's fantastic. And we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be attacking people who are a part of that. We should be applauding them and being doing and helping in any way we can to make that, you know, uh, the, the experience for them easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, thank you so much for that email. And Zeb, what message do you have for our listeners? Well, again, that's just a, a really good example of why we want to hear from you, our listeners. So send us an email this week um, asking that burning question or simply giving us some feedback and send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. So this week we have a very special guest with us that many of you have been looking forward to hearing from. We talked about in the Telegram group, everybody's been talking about wanting to hear from a pen tester directly, wanting to get more information on server security and those type of things. And we promised that we had somebody coming on the show just for that. And so the wait is finally over. With us today is Bo Weaver. Bo, welcome to the show. No, oh, thank you for having me. So for those who don't know, Bo is an author of several books related to penetration testing and Kali Linux. He works as a penetration tester and security researcher by day and promoter of open source, of course, by night. In addition, Bo has worked in physical security fields, executive protection, and as a private investigator. So do not mess with him. That's my <laughs> advice. It would not be a good idea. So, Bo, you and I met at Southeast Linux Fest last year. We ended up having a really awesome conversation. And yes, we did. I asked you to come on the show, and then months passed because we started transitioning on Destination Linux and had new hosts and all this stuff, but we finally got our stuff together, and we are so happy to have you here for this conversation. So my first question for you, before we get into all the fun details about your job, because I think you have a job a lot of people would love to have, 
we'd like to start our interview by finding out how did you start in Linux to begin with? How did your journey begin? Well, actually, my journey with computers started back in 1972 when I was working when I was in the Navy, and those were Unix systems. My first experience with Linux was back in the early 90s. I was really disgusted with Windows, having worked on Unix systems in the Navy, and the, and the way Windows is just so crappy. And uh, so one day I was in CompUSA and saw a copy of Red Hat Linux 2.4 box copy with a book and I bought it for $18 and took it home and loaded Red Hat up on an old system I had and blew it up about 50 times until I finally <laughs> felt comfortable with it. And then I started using it as my daily driver and haven't went back since. Nice. That's awesome. In my house here, I have about 10 machines. And that's not including uh, DigitalOcean droplets and stuff. But the only box yes. I have in this house that runs Windows is a little laptop I have as a testing target. The only thing I use it for is a target. <laughs> that's the best. That's like throwing darts at a little dartboard, isn't it? There's the machine. Let's have at it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So so Ryan said, mentioned that he met you itself and that you uh, you were working in the Linux security and pen testing. So tell us about your work and how you leverage Linux to do it. Okay. Uh, for work and for my personal laptops, I run Kali Linux with a KDE desktop. And, of course, Kali is not really, you know, I wouldn't say, you know, I don't suggest it for your average computer user. Uh, the reason why I use Kali for my daily driver is, is this is what I do for a living. Kali's uh, not set up. For one thing, when you load Kali, you only have a root login, which we all know you never, never work under root mm. unless you're pen testing. And then you need then you need direct access to the hardware and stuff. So when you set Kali up, there's only a root account where like in Ubuntu, when you set it up, you get a user account and do everything by sudo. But so, you know, if somebody comes to me, I recommend Ubuntu for, you know, if I want to swap over, I recommend Ubuntu. Uh, back in the day, I used to build laptops for testing, and it took weeks to go out, find the tools, bring them around, compile them, uh, and also fix the dependencies when you compiled. Mm -hmm. I, I know you guys remember make, make, install. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really a nightmare and took about a week. And with Kali, you have this nice distribution with all the tools you need. In less than an hour, you've got a pen testing box. So that's a mistake, though, that a lot of people make, and I'm glad you clarified that, is Kali Linux looks cool. It's got all these awesome tools. People are interested in that, but they'll tend to try to run it as their desktop. Don't do that, right? Well, what I do is, is when I install it, I put a normal user account on. Like right now, I'm running Kali, but, you know, we're having this, you know, this uh, webcast, and I'm under my Bow account on this machine. Yeah. So that way you can run Kali, but you have to go in and manually do it. It's not, you know, that doesn't happen in the setup like any other distribution where it asks you to put in a user account. You just, you have to do it manually. And that's what I do. You know, I don't do any kind of emailing, web browsing or anything like that on this machine unless I'm under my Bo account. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I mean that's yeah that's the best the best option because there's a lot of people who use they hear Kali or you know they hear the hacking idea and they're like oh well, I'm going to use Kali Linux and then they use it and they're not prepared to do it but someone who does it for their job it makes sense that you would use something like that as your daily. Right. Yeah. But what are some of the tools specifically that you utilize for penetration and security testing? Uh, my favorite tool is Fedora's Nmap. I cannot live without Nmap. I've been using Nmap for so long I can't remember. And I mean, it's <laughs> it's the Swiss Army knife of network diagnostic tools. It's, yes, you can do some small hacks with Nmap, but the great thing about Nmap is it's just such a wonderful diagnostic tool that you can footprint a machine and find out what you're dealing with. I mean, I used it as a network administrator all the time, you know, troubleshooting, you know, whether a web server was up or not. First thing I go to is, you know, Nmap and see if port 80 is open and functioning properly. I think a lot of people use Nmap for things like, let's see how many machines are on the network and which IPs they're at. And maybe some of, like you said, you know, looking at ports, is there any, is there anything about Nmap that you go, I walk around, I tell people, Hey, I use Nmap and I do this thing with that. And they go, I never knew I could do that with Nmap. Is, is there any of those kind of functionality that, that, that you use Nmap for? Yes, there's a lot of scripts, that, and that's something that's not documented well and most people don't know about, but you can put a, a, a script flag in there. And if you go to user share Nmap scripts, it's got this whole load of scripts for every kind of service. I mean, you can like uh, enumerate an SMB port where you can pull out the uh, uh, domain name and stuff by using those scripts. Really? Uh, those scripts yeah. are they're included in the basic Nmap install? Yeah, they're they're in the Nmap install. You just Very cool. best thing to do is to run an LS on user share Nmap scripts and there you can tell the list and you like with SMB if you put tac tac script equals SMB star, that'll run all your SMB scripts. But if you're just looking for versioning, SMB versioning, you can just run that SMB versioning and it'll pull all that version information from the SMB port that you wouldn't normally get if you just ran Nmap and found port 139 open. Right, right. Very cool. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. That sounds really good. So we know that you've written some books on the subjects as well, because we mentioned it in the introduction. So the first thing you need to do is you need to send off an email to your um publishers and say when this zebedee boss character tries to buy the book stop him <laughs> he will wreck his machine if you're selling one of these books because i'm not the technical guy i'm just a generic end user so i'm really interested tell us about these books and where we can get our hands on them and what sort of technical level do you think should start to look at them and learn them maybe well, our publisher is Packet Publishing, which is spelled P-A-K-T, leave the E out of Packet. And you can also get them through Amazon. If you run a search on Amazon for Bo Weaver, you'll pull up all my books. Uh, nice. the, the books are really, they're, they're really written for an advanced person, especially how the book came about was, was a, a friend of mine, Wolf, who's also a pen tester and security researcher, we were all the time asked by Windows Systems admin, how do you do a pen test? And of course, them being engineers, they want a blow-by-blow -blow description. <laughs> they want to be able to reproduce it. Mm -hmm. So, and that takes, you know, that's a six-hour conversation to even get started. 
So when Packet came to us about writing this book, that's what we wrote this book. This book is really geared towards Windows Systems admin that want to learn how to do a PCI test or HIPAA test on their network themselves and like to verify what I find. Because a lot of time I hack into the network, the engineer wants to replicate what I do. And that's what this book is about. And you, you need to have a really good working knowledge of Windows systems and especially Windows domain structure because we don't get into the fundamentals of Windows domain or anything like that. We do show you how to fully exploit a domain and pull down all the user accounts, but we don't get into <laughs> how to set it up. <laughs> Very nice. So, you also uh, have a, well, your book specifically, Kali Linux 2018 Windows Penetration Testing. Tell us about how you use this, someone would use this book to protect Windows in practice. Because there's some, there's some interesting chapters about that, about using Kali to protect Windows. Well, the whole thing of protecting Windows with Kali is, is you can use it to find these exploits and to harden the machine. Okay specifically how or well uh well for one thing cali comes with any kind you know it, it it's a complete security package not only does it have exploitation tools but it comes with open vas scanning tools it comes with uh open source intelligent tools like multi-ego to where you can use those to go out on the internet and find out what your digital footprint your company's digital footprint is mm -hmm. because a lot of the the a lot of people think that hacking is just sitting at the keyboard running exploits, but you have to do to really pen test. You have to do a lot of footprinting and that's knowing your target, knowing it's kind of like deer hunting. You know, if you go out in the woods and go deer hunting and you just go sit in the woods and wait on a deer, you're not going to get it. You have to go into the woods, find the deer trails, watch the deer's traffic so that you're able to go sit in the, sit in a certain spot in the wood and know that that deer at 2 PM is going to come down this trail. Mm -hmm. And it's the same way in hacking. Like there's a tool called Cool, C-E-W-L, which what it does is it spiders the sites and finds the common names that are in a website. Like say if you were scanning a uh, vac uh, uh, something like hotels.com, say. Hmm. Well, it'll scan the site and find out what the common words, because people that work for Hotels.com, I'm sure if you scan their, their user list, you would find the password vacation123. <laughs> well, cool is going to find that word vacation because it's used so many times on the website. So that words, it'll compile you a, a password list that you can then prepin one, two, threes and things like that too. But wow. it gives you a common list of words that people use because they work there that you wouldn't normally get from say a password cracking site. That's fascinating. That sounds good. So just before we get on to the next question as well, I just want to uh, ask one that, that isn't necessarily on the list. Has anybody ever come to you and said, We'd like you to do some pen testing, but we know you won't get in. And you've gone, ha, watch this. And you've actually broken <laughs> through. <it. laughs> I wish nice. I could tell you some tales. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the beauty of non-disclosure agreements. So, right. Yes, yes, the beauty of non-disclosure. I could tell you some tales. 
much. So, so that's a frequent challenge where they think you won't get in and then you just can't prove them wrong. Well, I'll tell one tale because is it the statute of limitations that run, run out back in the days, really before I was probably one of the first companies in Atlanta that really specialized in security, inter, internet security when people were companies were going from dial up to T1 lines and stuff. And I had a major stock brokerage firm whose name will be nameless that came to me and uh, wanted me to do a security audit on their network. And their CTO was, I went to this big board meeting with all these guys, these thousand dollar suits. And this one got big fat guy was kept going, oh, well, there ain't no way you're going to get into my network. Rah, 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 rah. Well, after doing a little bit of preliminary tests, I can say their, their outside network public facing was really hard. But what I did was, is, and I'll have to admit, you, you've seen this on Hackers, but actually I did it before the movie Hackers. I got me some flowers and I walked around in the office looking lost and how people put passwords on password notes i copied this stuff down and post-it notes of course and found, found a bank of america bank account that i got into with with six million dollars in it oh my goodness so when i went to do my security you know to do my presentation to the board i got on there and i logged i got pulled up bank of america and i logged in with their creds and i popped my bank account number into the wire transfer and i said look guys if you let me hit the submit button we'll call it even <laughs> i'm guessing they didn't go for that deal no the place went wild <laughs> And, and what was the reaction of the fat cat when he realized that it was as simple as a post-it note? I've, I've never seen a man's face is red. And, you know, the Wiley, you know, the old uh, cartoons where the smoke comes out of the ears. Mm -hmm. The smoke actually came out of his ears. Wow. I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah. nice. and, it, and it's not that you got pleasure out of belittling him like that. It was just you doing your job, showing that something as silly as a post-it note on a screen can be a major, forget all the technical stuff. Somebody had written down their password. How yeah. crazy was that? There might, the be, a, there might be a little bit of enjoyment. Yeah, the weakest link to, of security is always the user. Always. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Yes. So speaking of the weak security, we've got, uh, you know, this past couple of years, we've had these massive amounts of uh, announcements for, um, you know, big breaches from various companies. And just this week, uh, there's a, a huge data breach uh, or, you know, drop of the, some data from LinkedIn, Adobe, and many more of the, like, from passwords and all kinds of stuff with, like, 773 million accounts affected. Um, what are, like, the common mistakes companies are making? And is, is it I mean, more so than just, like, the users having password one, two, three, and stuff like that? No. Uh, actually, the biggest breaches that you see like this is – you know, number one is patch your systems. Yeah, yeah. And because if you look at all the major breaches today, I mean, like Home Depot, Equifax, uh, LinkedIn, it's all where it's sometimes it's, it's systems that haven't been patched in four years. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
Yeah. And these systems laying around, that's how they get in. Uh, you know, I exploit networks all the time and it's not like I got a pocket full of zero days that I use. I use common exploits that are common to everybody. And that's how I get into these systems. And the biggest problem is, is not patching your systems that and proper network segmentation. Like the Home Depot hack, you know, they were able to get into the DMZ and from there travel through Home Depot's network all the way up to the POS devices in the individual stores. Wow. From the DMZ. Mm, that should incredible. never happen. Wow. So there's a, there's, a, there's a favorite expression when you're talking about uh, whether you're doing testing or pen testing or anything like that, and that's lessons learned. So wouldn't you have thought that the industry would have worked out, wow, Equifax got hacked. Why did they get hacked? Because of this. Let's go and check whether or not we've patched all of our systems. And yet still people like Adobe and LinkedIn are being hacked because they're not patching their systems. How can we get the message across that this is our data you're messing with? Make sure your systems are secure. What do we need to do? Or is it just going to be one of those human nature things that's going to go on forever? Well, one thing that people can do is, is quit, use, quit using that particular system. Voting with your money is the best way to win over anything. Mm -hmm. And just quit using the systems. I mean, it's, you know, why do I not use Microsoft? because it's insecure. And also now with Windows 10, I'm leaking data back to Microsoft that they're turning around and selling. Right. Yep. And so I just refuse to use them and I vote with my pocketbook. And, you know, really, you know, LinkedIn is a good thing to make, you know, work contacts. But then again, is it really worth losing everything you got? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't use LinkedIn and that's the reason why. I think part of that is the fact that you have the you have the industry experience, you have the industry knowledge, and and you've had those years of of saying and and watching that pulse very closely to be able to make those kind of decisions. And you've you've done a lot of interesting things, right? So back in 1972, you worked for the U.S. Navy on a research project. Uh, tell tell us a little bit about that and what it was like to to work with the Navy and what that project was about. Well, at the time. It really wasn't that fantastic. Uh, yeah, I worked on, I actually worked on ARPANET. And at the time I was uh, going to school, uh, the Polaris submarine, to actually what I was learning to do was launch ICBM missiles. And at the time I was using the most sophisticated computer in the world, is what we were told. It was even called a microcomputer. Now, this computer would fill up any normal-sized kitchen, but they called it a <laughs> microcomputer. Of course. And it ran at a speed of 10 kilohertz. Yes, wow. that's with a K, not, an M, not with a G, but a K. <laughs> speed demon. But uh, as a side project, they put us working on this little research development project called ARPANET because at the time – if there was a nuclear, and most people don't know this, but the internet was invented because of nuclear war, warfare. There was a time back in the 60s that a nuclear attack could knock out like two or three cities and knock out, completely knock out communications between the East Coast and the West Coast. Mm -hmm. So they had to develop a communication systems that was self-routable and also self-healing. 
and that's where the internet came about. And in the beginning, it was it, it, it all this started on a hundred and forty-four thousand dollar grant. Wow. The internet was built by people in the service and also geeks that were going to trying to get their PhDs in college because it was built by the geeks at MIT in Berkeley. We were connected, you know, I'll never forget our first telnet section. We, we were talking to people through telnet at Berkeley U and we just thought that was so cool. Amazing. <laughs> and Oh, by the way, the first, Routable network on the internet was 10.0.0.0 slash eight. Wow. <laughs> what happens if you go there today? Yeah, you don't go nowhere, but you, well, here you'll go. Wait, you'll, it just you'll, took me to your website. How cool. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. So, um, you finished your latest book. Um, so, there was just a simple question at the end of it, but I want to extend that. When you publish a book, how long how long does it normally take from like start to finish, and and who vets your expertise as to what you're saying is accurate, or does that vetting not take place, so to speak? No, no, that vetting takes place. Uh, not only now, like especially that's the hard thing about writing a technical book is is it's not it's nonfiction. Mm -hmm. So you can't spin a tail, and especially in a technical book, everything, you know, you're putting in commands. You've got to make sure that's going to work for every reader and explain it well enough that the reader is going to be able to, you know, read what you're doing and, and reproduce it on a machine. And so that takes a lot of hard work. Normally our process is, is like if I'm writing, you know, thing on an exploit, I then, after I get done with that chapter, I also turn it over to a friend of mine that's really not even working on the book, and she basically vets my chapter and makes sure that everything works and is understandable. She's not only a hacker, but also has got a English major degree. So, handy. And, but then after we get done with it, it also goes through a vetting process with the publisher. The publisher has a technical staff staff that goes over and makes sure that everything's correct. They check our our all our copy for plagiarism. Uh, matter of fact, it's kind of funny. They, I got flagged for plagiarism on my last book because I quoted a quote off my own website. <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, you're you're uh, you're plagiarizing this uh, bow guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was I got a big kick out of that. But also, mm -hmm. but I really I was amazed at how quick. They turn it out once they get, well, actually, it's they work on it as they go. You know, we turn chapters in as we get them done. They take those chapters and send them to review. But really, once we got done with the last chapter, it was about a month and a half, and it was on sale in, in Amazon. Wow. I mean, in print, on sale. Nice. Wow. So, so what can we expect from you next? What's your next big project that you're working on? Is it a bit hush-hush? Uh, right now, I'm taking R&R &R after writing that book. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sounds good. And, uh, well, the publisher just approached, last week approached me and Wolf about writing a book on, on uh, a basics book on Kali Linux. Nice. 
and we're talking about doing it. We're in the planning stage of it right now. So I think we're going to do it. And also a little side project I've got going on is, uh, as we all heard, you know, Windows 10 is doing a lot of, you know, copying data off of your systems. And really want to get into the internals of that part of Windows and take it apart and see exactly what dating they're copying and where it's going and that. Because for one thing, in PCI, you're not allowed to have any kind of confidential data on unsecured or servers out of your control. Mm -hmm. Now, let's say you've got a vulnerability scan for a client in your user folder and, you know, Microsoft in their EULA says they can copy files and, and folders from your u private user folders. Well, if Microsoft has copied that vulnerability scan, really you're in, really you're in violation of PCI if you're using Windows 10, technically. Now, now, does that does that actually bore out? So, because what I've seen, and granted, I have not dug into it nearly to the extent that you have, but what I've seen in industry is if the company is big enough, they can get away with doing things that technically don't meet compliance standards because they're big enough to get away without meeting compliance standards. I mean, is there is there ever a time that we get to where the where where they go? Yeah, you know what? If you're using Windows 10, doesn't comply with PCI standards. Sorry, you can't run credit cards on it. Can't store information on it. We won't sign off on it. Does that happen? Uh, not yet. That's one reason why I'm wanting to do this report. I want to fully mm -hmm. document it and then turn it over to the PCI Council. But sadly, you're right. There are an awful lot of major companies that do get away with being non-compliant. And I, I wish I could name names on this because some of these places everybody knows and you would think they're secure and your money is sitting in a wet paper bag out on the porch as far as security is concerned. <laughs> but I can't say. Mm -hmm. But that's really, most of the time, the way they get away with it, it depends on the the company doing the testing. They'll let them write exceptions or do enough paperwork to get around a vulnerability. Uh, one thing I like about Compliance Point, the company I work for, is, is it's an honest company. We do honest tests. We do honest evaluations. We do honest reports. And we'll do everything in the world to help you pass your PCI certification, but we're not going to lie. Mm -hmm. Because does that, that's one does, thing I don't do. I don't lie. Does the company you work for, do they tell you, here are, you know, you're going to use Kali Linux or we don't want you to use Kali Linux. We want you to use, you know, Windows 7 or Windows 10 or whatever. And then you just kind of go out of the, the bounds. Do they actually support you doing that? Do they require it? How, what does that model look like? Well, since I'm the senior pen tester and I wrote the rules, we're required to use Kali Linux for all testing. Purposes. I love it. I like you. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. Um, again, excuse me while I just jump in and ask a question that's not really there. You, you mentioned that you're going to be, you're being asked to write a book on Kali Linux. Will that be a very technical book or will it be, um, would you ever consider doing an idiot's guide to pen testing. This is basically, that's what this is going to be. Basically it's going to be an idiot's guide to pen testing instead of getting into high level exploits and like pivoting or lateral movement through a domain. We're not really going to get into that. We're going to talk more about, you know, 
talk about white box testing, black box testing, gray box testing, what those mm -hmm. are in detail. Uh, the legal, we're going to talk a lot about more about the legalities of pen testing in this book. Mm -hmm. And also a little simpler, you know, setup things in the book. And also we're going to cover uh, report writing and like note taking and things nice. like that, that the, that the person that's actually getting into this first time doesn't, you know, they think it's all about hacking, but you know, it's like the old saying, the job is never done until the, the job is never finished until the paperwork is done. Mm -hmm. And the client, you know, our clients really aren't paying me to crack their network. They're paying for my report. Yeah. That's yeah. what they want to see because mm -hmm. they got to have my little paper that I wrote to turn into PCI to get the rock. And that's what the, you know, how I did it, you know, they don't really care as long as they get the report. Mm -hmm. Sounds great. So again, excuse me, guys, I'm just finding this whole subject so fascinating. Um, with your books, are you ever worried that you're actually given black hat um, hackers the knowledge to go and do naughty stuff? Well, you know, we hear about black hat, white hat hacking. You know, hacking is hacking. Mm -hmm. it, it's the person that's doing it. It's it's like a firearm. You know, a firearm is nothing more than a piece of metal. It's a piece of machinery. How you cool. use it, whether you go out and commit mass murder or whether you protect yourself with that firearm and protect your family is your choice. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing yes i can make millions of dollars if i wanted to and live in a island off the coast of tahiti if i didn't have any morals but i'm mm -hmm. an honest and moral man so i only do you know anytime i rob and i rob a bank i give the money back mm -hmm. and well, that's one thing <laughs> there you go. I, I love it i love it when people ask me what do you do for a living and i go i rob banks <laughs> <laughs> And I do rob banks. And I make the banks pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And the banks pay me to rob them. <laughs> so awesome. fascinating. Well, I'm very excited about that idea of the basics book. So as your publisher and them are talking about it, let them know we're all very interested in that because I would love to start with something along those lines myself. Um, with all that being said, what's the best way for people to follow you and your work so we know when new stuff is coming out? Well, sadly, in security work, you know, most of the things that I do, I can't talk about. Uh, the best way to follow me is, is I do have a website, www.bowweaver.com, or you can email me at bow at bowweaver.com. And my website does have some stuff that it hadn't had much put up there lately since I've been writing these books. And all my writing has been going to the books instead of the website. But uh, I do have, uh, there's a lot of security writings that I've put up there and some, uh, some of my sick humor on the site. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. well, <laughs> you'll have to forgive me because I've just gone to the website and what has really made me smile is Google Chrome is going, not secure, bowweaver.com. <laughs> it's saying it's not secure. Yeah. Oh, it's because it's not, not HTTPS. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's not secure because you don't mess with Bo Weaver's website. It wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> well, it's, the thing is, is there's no databases. I mean, it's data that you could access through the web browser. So why, why run HTTPS on it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if you go to my 
my my mail server or my own cloud instance or anything else that I own, you will find the HTTPS is enabled on all that stuff. Well, let's mm-hmm. put that to the test. What's your mail server IP, Bo? <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Yes. <laughs> well, uh, we want to thank you so much, Bo, for taking the time to join us on Destination Linux. Uh, it's just been so much fun talking to you. And I'm very serious. Our Telegram group has just been so interested in this subject. So they're going to be so excited when this episode releases to hear uh, these tales and ways that they can kind of understand this industry a little better. Because I think it's very much misunderstood. Uh, especially like what we're talking about with what a hacker truly is, what they do, those type of things. So I appreciate that and hope you'll join us in our Destination Linux Telegram. If that's secure enough for you, perhaps you could join us in there and just listen to some of the questions after the episode because I know people would love to talk to you. About okay, that. I'll try to. That would be awesome. Yeah, I want to I wanna say thanks for having me on and uh, us talking about this because you're right. Our work is so misunderstood. It really is. I mean, even amongst the, you know, in the industry, it's misunderstood. Yeah. Like, uh, it's really hard to get a job as a pen tester because nowadays in IT, the person, you know, it's not the head of engineering going looking for a job. It's HR or a headhunter. And especially a headhunter has no clue. You know, he's looking on your resume for a bunch of acronyms. And so he doesn't have any clue whether you're a good pen tester or not. And and another thing, and also Hollywood makes <laughs> such a <laughs> yeah. joke out of my job. That, you know, I, you I'll just uh, you haven't gone running down a runway chasing an airplane with a Cat Five cable trying to plug it into the tail. <laughs> Well, he has. You know what I'm talking about, right? No, no, I did that. I did that wirelessly. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Love it. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, TV, and and it plays it up such a bad thing. You know, hacking. You know, if you say you're a hacker, you're a bad guy. When, like I said earlier, it's a matter of ethic. You know, it's a matter of the person's morals about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, every you know, all you guys are hackers. I mean, you know, I watch your show, and you really you're talking about hacking Linux systems all the time, because hacking is not necessarily breaking into a system. I've got a book up here on my sh- bookshelf that I've had for about ten years called "101 Linux Hacks." It does not have anything in there about exploiting Linux systems. It's about hardening Linux systems. You know, you can use a hack to harden the system. And it also got, you know, performance hacks in there for like how to speed up your MySQL. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, a hack is not necessarily breaking into a system. You know, a hack is, a hack is an engineer playing with something, actually. <laughs> it's actually becoming a kind of a funny thing because they're now doing a, like a life hack thing. So there's like, you know, all these different types of, they're just using the term hack to apply to like ma- ma- manipulating or customizing anything now. So like, yeah. it's kind of coming, it's becoming uh, at least people, some people are getting to like starting to learn yeah. what it is. Hacker space kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah. Well, Bo, I cannot wait because we're all going to be, and hopefully Zeb too, he's got to go fund <laughs> me out there. We're going to fly him from, um, where are you from? Marmite to Stan? Squiddle, Squiddle land. Squiddleland. Close to London in England. Oh, okay. That's where he's at. We're going to oh. try to fly him down to self so the whole crew here 
will be itself this year, and we cannot wait to Great. sit down and hang out with you. Yeah, I can't wait to hang out with you guys. I really love self. I mean, that's that's such a vacation for me because one thing, Penn, I work from home. I work alone. I only really work with four people in the company that I talk to. You know, I talk to on a daily basis. So it's really good to go something like that. And, you know, most of my friends, they have, you know, I can't talk about work with them. They have no clue what I do. <laughs> so it's really great to go to some place and knowing anybody you walk up and talk to will at least have a pretty good idea of what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And may have another good idea when you talk about something may pop up and go, well, you know, besides doing that with that, you could do this. Right. Mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Yep. Brilliant. Well, just be prepared to do some extra work because I'll be bringing my laptop and say, look, Bo, do me a favor, mate. This laptop's like a sieve now. Can, can you, can you set, I've tried to harden it and it failed. Can you set <laughs> Chrome as the default web browser so I can use more of my Google services? <laughs> that's what Zeb would be asking you. <laughs> that's, a, that's another thing I don't use is, is, is Google. Mm -hmm. But you it's do use Firefox, right? Is that your browser of choice? Oh, yes. That is my browser of choice. There we Firefox. go. Bo, you're just a, you're you're genius. We love you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Firefox is my browser. Yes, it is, and it's also a great hacking tool. Yeah, oh, really. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you got that little developer screen down at the bottom. Yeah, you got the console uh, and networking. There's a there's a network section tab that you can test things there when they, how they load, when they load, things like that. Yeah, well, pulling down that little developer tab, you know, you can inject stuff into the headers using that. <laughs> <laughs> Firefox is a wonderful tool. <laughs> Remind us, guys, never to upset Bo, otherwise we might find DestinationLinux.com looking a bit weird. <laughs> Very good. Well, thanks again, Bo, and uh, we'll have you on the show again in the future, and we'll see you itself. Okay, anytime, anytime, and I'll see you all itself. Thank you. Now, first in the news this week is some the plans for 2019 from Solus. They issued a announcement. Uh, Josh Strobel issued an announcement for he's the friend of the show and also the experience lead for Solus. And there is a article on a blog post that is detailing all the changes that they are, we're expecting from the from the Solus team in 2019. And they've actually bro broken it out in quarter systems. So the first quarter they're going to be doing uh, releasing for Budgie 10.5 and Solus 4 will finally be coming out. No more 3.999999, etc., etc. So <laughs> that's great. They're going to have uh, updates to GNOME 3.30, with so enabled with the implemented way new way to support the GNOME 3.28 stack, which is like I'm pretty sure that's the the LTS version. Um, they also, they also have updates to Cuppa, which is the comprehensive upstream pro provider pulling assistant. That's Yes, that, that does need to be shortened. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, that, that's a tracking for a package repository and their individual package system to keep track of everything as far as like dependencies and things like that. And they're also doing some uh, the Linux hardware qualifier, which is really interesting. And Ryan, I'm curious to see uh, what do you think about the like the latest stuff from Solus? What, what are you excited about? I mean, when I was looking at this, I thought, what a brilliant idea from the team because frankly i mean we solus has gone through a lot of change recently and i think that that could have the ability to make people go oh is it going to continue is there going to be issues there going to be long delays because of some of the changes and things but clearly once we had them on the show to talk about it and when you see news like this where they're very organized with their communication 
to the community about what's happening, about what their plans are for the whole rest of the year and all the things that they're working on being excited that they're, they're just engaged and they're on top of it over there on the Solus team. And lots and lots of people really, really love this project. And so I know they're very happy to see the kind of organization and community outreach that's going out over there. But I was pretty, I thought it was pretty cool in Q2, something simple, but very necessary is in their software center, they're going to do snaps and flat packs. Nice. Um, and they're also adding a new user experience on top of the software store. So snaps and flat packs have become a big part of a lot of the software that I install, frankly. I mean, a lot of them are in snaps and flat pack. If I see it, is an easy snap or flat pack available? I'll just go install it that way um, because it's just simple and fast. So I think it's cool that they're adding in some of those options and they're focused on stability in the user experience here. I agree. I mean, mm -hmm. I default to snaps and flat packs and app images. You know, whenever I see something that has that, I'd like, I'd much rather use that because it's just so much easier to deal with. You know, especially with like a snaps, you just say snap install. You don't have to worry about upgrading. It'll just do it itself. So those are really cool, mm -hmm. and I'm glad to see that. And they also have a new package manager they're going to be working on for the quarter, uh, quarter two. And that is, they're calling it soul S O L. Uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, basically they currently use EOPKG and they're going to be replacing that. I'm not really sure how much different this one is, but this looks, uh, it looks like they're doing a ton of work. And uh, I mean, I'm excited to see, you know, what comes out from this because they are also talking about making budgie 11 and, you know, tons of great things. Yeah. And that, that's the thing that I was excited about this, that, Previously, there was always talking about Solus 4 and Budgie 11, and it was all sort of like Etherware, and then they were never really getting anywhere. But now, and we know it might slip a little bit, he's actually said, quarter one this, quarter two that, quarter three that. So if you are a Solus follower, there's things to get excited about and things to keep an eye on as it goes through. And yes, it might slip by a couple of months, but it's now written down in black and white. This is what they're going to try and get out to us. So I think it's great. Nice. Yep. Gnome has been making some performance tweaks, and uh, this has been very exciting to see. It's coming in the Gnome 3.32 cycle, and it appears that they are going to continue to work on stabilizing and improving the experiments, experience rather that you have on Gnome. Canonical has been contributing to this, and what's interesting to me about that is when Canonical announced that they were going to Gnome, this is one of the first times that I ever looked immediately and said, this is absolutely a good thing for desktop Linux. This is going to fundamentally move the football down the field. And everybody on every desktop distribution is going to benefit from Canonical putting the default desktop back to GNOME. And what we're, what we're seeing here is Canonical is going through and taking all of the hard work and tweaking and perfection that they found in Unity and saying, okay, here's how you apply that to GNOME. And as long as the GNOME developers are willing to adopt those changes, now you have Red Hat, uh, putting it 800 some developers towards a known product and canonical adding what they can. And then developer Daniel Van uh, Voigt coming back and saying that there are several merge requests out there to help get some additional power uh, out of the, the gnome shell. And uh, we've got an entire list. I'm sure those will be included inside of the show notes. If there's any that, you know, Michael or Ryan or Zeb want to touch on, you know, you can dive into those a little bit, but um, suffice to say that they're making, great headway in improving that experience. And that's exciting to see because again, I think that is going to help all of us, no matter which distribution you're on um, canonical red hat, those companies are going to help get us there. Mm -hmm. Well, what I find inter interesting about this list is there's everything there that I haven't got a clue what they're talking about. I'm just happy the list <laughs> well, is big 
and it's going to make an improvement that we can feel on a desktop. Now, Ryan, I know, will understand a lot more about that list than I do, but the fact that it's there and they're putting it again in black and white, that these are the improvements we're going to make, for me, that can only be good for Linux. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people would probably look at this list and their eyes would cross. I did look into a couple of these, but ultimately what it boils down to is better performance within GNOME. We know there have been issues in the past with memory leaks and those type of things. Those have gotten patched and it looks like more work is going into there to you know make sure that it's drawing the screens by, uh, back without latency to reducing stutter and just making a better overall performance and experience for the user on the desktop. And a lot of people love GNOME and that's a very important thing to have. So I'm glad to see the work continuing there. And again, the merge requests are out there uh, and the people who are putting the stuff together, finding the issues, fixing them and getting them in are just, they're brilliant, really. They're, they're brilliant minds. Yep, sounds they really good. Now, this next item up is actually quite interesting because um, we've got our security expert here, Bo Weaver, with us. Um, and basically, the big message that he gave to us was all of these recent hacks are because you didn't patch your systems. So there's a system D vulnerability that was discovered. Now, the good news is that they have already been patched. So it's down to you as the user to make sure that you update your systems regularly so that these um, patches Get, get applied. So the vulnerabilities were found in the system D journal D, which collects and stores logging data. And the exploit allows a local user to gain root access. Now, again, this is one of those situations where what they're basically saying is they've got to be sat at my machine and they can hack me. Bring it on. There's no one going to get past my door <laughs> to sit at my keyboard and hack my machine. Anything you want to do remotely, no well, problem. Not everyone's six foot six. So, I mean, yeah. come on. Fine. That's not a problem. Come into my house and try and hack my machine. So, it's great. The thing I love about Linux is someone goes, Oh my God, we've got a problem. And someone goes, Yeah, don't worry. I fixed it. Two seconds <laughs> exactly. before you've read about it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. The, the first announcement, it was the, the, when I first saw it being announced by the Qualys people, they said that uh, two of them had, uh, Red Hat had already fixed two of the problems. And then the next one was like two days later. So mm. like, it, it doesn't, it, it's this kind of thing is, is not a big deal because, um, I mean, it's, it's been blown out of proportion a little bit, especially in like the mainstream media stuff. But, um, what's really good is that it, it requires local access or it requires an already compromised computer. So it's not, all it is, is, is a, it's a, a, a privilege escalation issue, not an actual like hacking vector. Uh, but the, the an interesting thing is that the SUSE products like uh, SUSE Enterprise and OpenSUSE, as well as for the latest Fedoras, are not affected by this because they have a different way that they do the stack. Uh, they prevent stack clash, which is how this is done. And uh, it's just interesting like that because uh, I didn't know that these distros were you know using systemd in different ways that to that level. So it's yeah. pretty interesting to find that out. So, Bo, listen to this. They found that by passing several megabytes of command line arguments to a program that calls syslog, they could get journal D to crash. This could be used by a local attacker to escalate privileges to gain root access. So that's how it worked there. So what advice do you have here, Bo? My advice is, is patch your stuff. <laughs> because, because <laughs> yes, this is one thing I'd like to point out. Yes, this is a local exploit. You know, and like you said, it's a privilege escalation exploit. But let's say somebody has 
your user account and they get SSH access into your machine, they can still use this local, this privilege escalation because, you know, once they've SSH'd into your box, they're local. Right. So you can use this exploit to gain full root access to a box remotely if somebody's got your login. Yes, you can't breach, you know, you have to breach the system some other way, but this is a dangerous thing. But still, the beauty of Linux is, is every time you hear about a Linux exploit, within two or three days, it's there's a fix out there for it. Mm. All you have to do is update your machine and you no longer have to worry about it. Nice. Well said. Thank you, Bo. So in other news, we have Lightworks has big plans in 2019. Now, Noah, I blame you for this entirely. This is all <laughs> your fault. But a lot of my latest videos, I've been using Lightworks, learning Lightworks, a lot of it because it's a professional suite and I wanted to kind of see what movie studios and things like that. And it works fantastic in Linux, by the way. Right. Um, but they have big plans in 2019. Lightworks 14.6 is expected to enter public beta in the next few weeks. And it will be the final re uh, major release of that cycle. But then we're going to have, um, you know, additional uh, work being done all throughout 2019 to further enhance this product. And I didn't know about you, but I was looking through this list of things that are changing here in just the 14.6 versioning. And I was like, this all looks very exciting. I don't know where everything here is, but I want to play with it. Yeah, the, it, what they're doing is essentially all of that, all of the new features that they are are, are adding or working on is to make is to bring Lightworks ahead of the curve. I, I, I would argue that Lightworks started behind the video editing curve at once upon a time because they were coming from tape-based workflows. Then they advanced to with, I believe it was 14 is when they switched to like the static layout and they went to all file-based, you know, essentially treating everything as a clip because that's how we bring in media. And now what they're doing with their addition of network audio and, 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 and some of those kinds of things and, and creating these mezzanine files that exist outside so that you can... Um, seek smoother and 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 scrub video packages and stuff like that. I think they're going to get ahead of the video editing curve. You know, you look at what Adobe and and Final Cut are are able to do, and you look at what those users claim are the quote unquote benefits. Well, we've now not only matched that, but the ability to send um, information out and go into render forms and interface with Boris FX and stuff. And not necessarily all of that works on Linux, but the the company in general is moving ahead of the curve and yeah. we actually i'm actually working with a video class that outfitted their entire lab and mind you these are people that have no allegiance to linux per se um it's running on mac os but they've fitted their entire video editing suites all with lightworks and part of that is because of the cost effectiveness of lightworks but the other part of it is because it's genuinely a more powerful tool than the competitors out there so if you haven't checked out Lightworks, I, I would encourage you to do so. It's a, it's a very, very complex, very powerful piece of software, um, really designed for professional video editors, not really meant for your average Joe editing videos at home. But for somebody like you who's putting videos out you know, daily or weekly as, as part of his job, it's definitely a tool that you'd want to be familiar with, if nothing else. Yeah, and, and the reason why I wanted to kind of highlight this here, because I know this isn't a free and open source project specifically, but the reason why this is very important for me to highlight is there's been a couple of videos that have been released recently by very popular Linux personalities. And some of those videos are talking about the fact that 
video editing sucks on Linux. Mm-hmm. And it's really frustrated me because I've used all the other tools back in my Windows years because I think I finally can say I celebrate my third year of using Linux. I've used all those most of my life. They were great products. I, even Final Cut Pro was a fantastic product. But there are options on Linux. Caden Live is an amazing editor that's completely free and open source. But if you needed something more, you have something like Lightworks, which in my opinion matches those point for point for point. It's just when I got into it, when you were talking about it, I was like, wow, this is what I was used to seeing, you know, on that other OS that shall not be named uh, Mm -hmm. over there. As far as the quality professionalism, the quickness of rendering, the uh, special effects and abilities and text and all of that stuff that people look for is there. It's expensive uh, if you want to get a license, but not outrageous. Not like, you know, if you're, if you're doing YouTube and you're making some ad money and you wait for Black Friday, you can, it's free it. if you're if you can if you can tolerate 720. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can obviously it's free for 720p, but and, I think it's important and, to highlight because there are good options for video editing on Linux. In fact, there are great options for video editing on Linux. One thing I just want to point out too is that a lot of times we get hung a lot of people get hung up and they'll say, Well, what is it? What does make a professional tool over you know Caden Live or OpenShot? What what is this professional tool? It's not, it's not, I don't say that to be pejorative to those other pieces of software. They're fantastic pieces of software, but there are, there is functionality that just fundamentally doesn't exist. And I'll give you an example. We just did a, a shoot and we had four cameras and we had a setup and we streamed the shoot live. And so we swapped between those cameras, but in post, we wanted to go back and really tweak those shots and say, well, this particular shot, that guy had his eyes closed, but you can't see it from this angle. We wanted to go back and readjust those camera shots. You can't do that in OpenShot. You can't do that in Caden Live. I can do that in Lightworks. I can bring in a, a four-camera system and in post change what shot was live. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that is, is, is hugely advantageous when you're doing this, again, as a living. Yep, absolutely. And on top of all that, Lightworks 15 is coming out with support for device imports directly from the tool itself. So you'll be able to do your SD card, USB sticks, everything you plug in, you can import right from the tool. So you won't have to import it separately, which I thought was cool. Support for OFX plugins, custom output formats, additional social social media platforms built in. If you've used Lightworks, for instance, and I think this may be what they're talking about. If you go to actually export your video, it has options that you can pre-sign into like YouTube, for instance, and it will send your video to YouTube for you. You don't have to go and open so, a separate YouTube. Piece. Quick, nice. quick note about that. If you use the Vimeo plugin, you can actually get, I just thought of this, you can get 1080p output for free as well. Um, their license allows you to export 1080p output as long as you have it linked to a Vimeo profile. Yep. Nice. And we've got support for more audio FX plugins, which I know makes Noah happy. Very much so. <laughs> so we also got some news from the Librem team or the Purism team about the new Librem laptops. And they the version four of the Librem laptops for the Librem 13 and the Librem 15. And these look really nice. Like I haven't actually personally used one of these, but I really want to. Hopefully the Purism team will be itself. Uh, just, you know, just an idea. And... Uh, <laughs> So, but anyway, this the the, the this new version has uh, the seventh gen core, uh, Intel Core i seven seventy five hundred U processors, and that work with Core Boot, and Librem fifteen has get will get up to a four K resolution for it. So, if you want to have like a high high res uh, screen, so you nice. can get it. So, it's it's really cool. 
Um, so also they come with options like for their own operating system based on Debian, which is pure OS. And it has like a one-year warranty, so you can try it out. And if something goes wrong, they'll fix it for you. But overall, I think that uh, you know the, the laptops that they ha- they're, they're making are really slick, and I really want to try one out. Well, I'd be interested to know what you think, Bo, because one of the cool things about a Purism laptop is it actually has hardware kill switches built into it. So you can, from the hardware, actually it has switches on the laptop where you can kill the microphone, kill the camera, kill the wireless, kill the Bluetooth, literally cut the electricity to that component so that it's unusable. Is that something, have you looked into this company at all before or something you'd be interested in? Yeah, I've looked into this company, but yeah, that's something on my personal little Tyrannus notebook that I use. That's the one thing I love about this is is it's got, it doesn't have a camera. If I want a camera, I have to plug a USB camera in it. It doesn't have a built-in mic. If I got, if I want to use a mic, it's got the plugs to plug it in. And it's also got a physical switch where I can turn the Bluetooth and the wireless off. That way I know absolutely for sure nobody's going to turn any of that stuff on. And that's something I do worry about. Like the laptop I'm using right now, it's a uh, System76 and I love it, but there's two things I worry about. And that's the built-in microphone and the camera. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah, so this is an awesome option out here. And I think the pricing on these was not bad for what you're getting when you look at the specs of the system at all. So I was pretty impressed with this and I'd love to get my hands on one. And Michael, like you said, if they show up to self, Maybe they'll just, because we're so awesome, a podcast, just hand us free laptops. What do you think? Uh, I, th- I think we should, uh, you know, contact them and give, them, give just kind of give them a little hint about, I, I think I'll do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do that right away. Yeah. It's definitely going to work. Yeah. But <laughs> even if you're not going to uh, ask for a freebie, the fact that they're also offering interest-free financing so that you can split the costs over six or 12 months. Oh, yeah. That might make the decision between whether or not you can sure. get one or not. So that's Michael that's has a hard time affording 50 megabyte hard drives. I think a leader is probably out of the question. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> Would you imagine a hacker trying to hack Michael? They wouldn't be able to because they'd be out of space once they logged into his <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chromo, uh, Google, last week we covered, or I think it was the week before, covered a story about Google and their their indiscretion in maybe looking at ditching the Linux kernel in favor of a microkernel to replace on Android and Chrome OS. Well, we suspected that perhaps maybe Google was giving up on Linux. Not the case. This week, we find that Google is actually adding apt search to the launcher. Now, this comes from a, I believe it was actually a uh, a feature request or a bug request um, where they had actually titled what it was that they were looking to do and and said they wanted to add app search to the browser. So Chrome OS uh, has a beta feature and they'll be able to install Linux apps right from the Chrome launcher. So the idea is, if that doesn't make any sense to you, sounds like Greek. The idea is instead of previously, you had to drop down to a terminal, actually run Linux commands and and type what most people would see as a magical incantation to get software installed. Now (laughs) you're going to get Linux software uh, the same way you would get any other Chrome app on a Chromebook. So the question that we have for you is, does this diminish the potential learning experience of people getting to learn Linux on Chrome OS because it makes Linux so far hidden and masks things in Linux so far to the point that it feels just like Mac OS or Windows? Or 
is it lowering the bar for people to be able to get introduced to the Linux operating system and thus is going to be the year of the Linux desktop? Maybe both. A little bit yeah, both. I was kind of worried about this because I, you know, I don't think a lot of people besides us geeks here spend a lot of time thinking about where the tools they utilize come from. Let alone right. thinking about security or anything else. I mean, half the people use Facebook. So clearly, they're not too worried about security or privacy. Um, but it, when you hide it behind the scenes, what Google is doing is they're leveraging the power of Linux because utilizing phone apps, it turns out, as an operating system isn't so great, right? It has its limitations. It's kind of a cool idea. There's some neat things you could do with it, but it's very limited. So they're leveraging the power of Linux in the app stores that are available there. And as my understanding, it's been apt up to this point, but now they're going to allow you to use other distributions behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. But now they're going to kind of hide that so that when you're in their app store or you're doing a search through their bar for a piece of software, you know, GIMP or something like that's going to come up. But people aren't going to realize that that is Linux necessarily. Now, they may have gone and followed some online guide that said, hey, go into your settings and flick that switch that says go into developer mode and you utilize Linux. But I don't know that most people are going to put that together. Whereas before, when they're having to go in the terminal and other things, I felt like you're almost starting to teach them so that when they outgrow that Chromebook, which you can really fast, they're going to want to go to Linux and they're not going to be afraid of the terminal. They're not going to be afraid of searching through software that way because it's really easy once you learn it. I don't know. I, I just don't feel good about this. So Devil's Advocate says, if I'm, if I'm the Devil's Advocate, I would say to you, do you believe that if given the option of learning Linux or not learning Linux that people would either learn Linux and not abandon it? Because I submit to you that the vast majority, like 90 plus percent of users out there, unless they are geeks and are getting into a Chromebook for the purpose of learning Linux, in which case they're probably not installing Linux apps on Chrome. They're probably actually just legitimately wiping the thing clean and installing Linux. If they're not doing that, then those users are going to try to get the work done that they can on a Chromebook because they bought it at a budget price. And when they're not able to get their work done because the tools don't exist on it, they dump it and they go buy a MacBook. And if we lower that bar for that software to become available, so now you can buy a $250 Chromebook, and guess what? It runs Inkscape, it runs Lightworks, it runs, you know, whatever. And they're able to have native applications that are able to get the work done. Now Linux has elevated itself to be a true competitor with Mac OS or Windows. I, I agree. I think, that, I, think, I think that's a good point, but mainly it's because I think that the... The, there's an argument of saying that they wouldn't have access to the terminal, they wouldn't be introduced to it, and, and uh, things like that, but... They also might not even care about trying the terminal in the first place. They're like, "Oh, I, 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 it's really complicated to get new applications. Why do I care? I'm not going to bother." And they just dismiss mm -hmm. it, or that they stop using the the Chromebook entirely, or they just use web apps and stuff like that. But overall, I think the majority of people would not be introduced to it anyway. Like that's kind of the same thing that people talk about Linux because then when they 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 think that that you in order to use regular Linux, you have to use a terminal, and if they were just forced to use the terminal on Chrome OS, I don't think that would change anything. It would be the same experience of, oh, this is really difficult, and they just choose not to do it. Whereas this way, they at least get to be introduced to the software, and they get to use the software on a, on a system that's slightly less intrusive than Windows, but, you know, not that much different. But overall, I think this is, is a, it's, a, it's a good stepping stone, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Sounds good. Sounds good. So on to gaming news. Um, 
Now, before we find out that actually Google are going to be bringing out their own gaming store, and then that will really, really upset Ryan, um, Valve have decided to announce a lot of changes that are coming this year. So we've already we've already heard about a lot of companies that are coming to Valve's dominant gaming platform and opening stores of their own. And rather just sit there and sort of go, oh my goodness, we're not going to be the best anymore. Valve has said, well, do you know what? In the, in the background, we're still working on Proton and we're still making your whole gaming experience that much better. But they've actually announced um, about seven things that they're going to, they're going to, and Ryan can go into more details on these. They're going to have store discoverability where it picks up on what it is that you're playing and how you play it and what you might like next. They're going to update their library. They're going to add new event systems. They're going to add Steam TV, Steam Chat, Steam Trust, and Steam steam pc cafe programs so before we get on to ryan um one of the things that i realized that we didn't ask in the interview and i don't know if it's because you knew he wasn't Bo, are you a pc gamer at all oh no i'm not a i'm not a gamer at all the only game i play is hack the box which is virtual box <laughs> running a virtual network with a bunch of exploitable machines on it in that windows machine that's a target in your house right yeah, yeah, it's yeah, that's my gaming machine. It's got a bullseye on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> so over to our resident gaming guru. What's particularly good about what Valve are annou- announcing here, Ryan? Well, I mean, ultimately, we talk a lot about the fact that competition's a good thing, and Steam is obviously not going to take all the competition of all these stores sitting there, all these different platforms out there starting to step into Steam's territory with trying to get their own stores to take off and those type of things. So it's only going to help us, the users, as all these competitions happen. But it's good to see that Valve is not taking this sitting down. They're adding a lot of neat things in here. But when I saw the last bullet that the Steam PC Cafe program, I there was an individual that emailed us a while back that was opening a PC Cafe and they were having issues figuring out licensing and things like that. And Steam at the time was particularly complex. So I was really happy to see that they're going to do some more work making that licensing and ability to open PC cafes up and utilize Steam in those a better Mm -hmm. experience for people. So maybe I was thinking he's going to, the individual that emailed us kind of perk up at that and maybe have some options there that will help them with their cafe that they're running. Nice. Yeah, sounds good. So up next is the software spotlight, and this is the Edex UI. And what's really cool about this is it is a terminal emulator with a science fiction little uh, hacker approach. It's done. It's made for large touchscreens, so it has a it has a built-in keyboard. It has a file manager section, and it looks like a movie TV show hacker interface thing. It looks like one of those ridiculous like. Imagine a movie hacker visuals with Tron Legacy design stuff and throw it on, throw, put it all together. But what's really cool about this is that it actually works. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. It works. The keyboards, the keyboard works as a keyboard. It even works with touch touch events, so you can put it on a touch screen and tap it, and it'll work with a keyboard. The file manager is is connected to your file system. All of it works. Like even has like CPU temperatures and all kinds of stuff. And there's a built-in terminal tab where you can send commands through as well. So it's definitely ridiculous, but at the same time, fantastic. Bo, if you want to look cool, you need to download this application <laughs> and have it running on all. Yes, your I will download it tonight, so I too can look like CSI Cyber. 
<laughs> He's going to be the scorpion. <laughs> yes, I am the scorpion. <laughs> well, if you don't love that bow, then you're going to love this tip and trick because you seem like somebody who would love it if your terminal gave you attitude back while you were typing. So the tip and trick here is if you go into your terminal, you type vi sudo, one word, at the bottom of the defaults, add a new line, defaults, insults, and then you save it. Every time you mistype your password, your terminal for sudo, your terminal is going to insult you. So some of the insults <laughs> I've gotten as I've had this installed is uh, harm can come to a young lad like that. There's nothing wrong with uh, you that an expensive operation can't prolong. And where did you learn to type? And something about being a fish brain uh, in one of them. <laughs> I mean, that to me just sounds fantastic. So I had to install that one. So that's our tip and trick of the week. Actually, my machine does that. By itself? Yeah, by itself. If you type uh, certain uh, phrases that cannot be mentioned on a uh, family show into the terminal line, uh, my machine using Festival starts cussing you out. <laughs> <laughs> Very if nice. you if you type thank you in the command line, it, it gives you this warm, warm welcome back. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so lots of ways you can have fun with your terminal there. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for listening, for supporting, watching us, however you do it. Thank you so much for your support. A big thank you to our patrons uh, for continuing to support the show. And you too can become a patron for just a dollar, and that's darn near free. Zeb, how can people get a hold of us? Well, as as usual, there are a number of um, places that you can go, but probably the best one is if you go to um, destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. And what you'll find there is Michael has given you a whole host of options to connect to us, Telegram group, Discord, Google+, Twitter, mastodon etc um, and as we talk about in every show you can you can contact us via emails at comments at destination so send us those emails in keep them coming they are really interesting um, and they add to the flavor of the show absolutely and also adding to the flavor is when you like that smash button and when you sh uh, share the show on social media uh, and also, you can check out our individual channels. Uh, we all have our individual channels for uh, Ryan. You can go get your fill your brains with uh, you know, various different hardware uh, tutorials and even cryptocurrency, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, we, with Zeb, you can go uh, basically just watch him just plow through a ton of caravans on his streams. <laughs> and with Noah, check out his Ask Noah show, where he takes questions from the audience and from for but whether it's Linux based or business based, all kinds of things like that. As you can also check out mine at tuxdigital.com where I do uh, content for This Week in Linux where it's a news podcast exclusively, like no filler, just news. Well, actually, it's Linux good news. Anyway. Nice. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Thanks for the face palm, Noah. So, <laughs> so, there you go. It's rich with you tonight. <laughs> Well, we want to give a special thanks again to Bo Weaver. Thank you so much. And you can find him at BoWeaver.com. That's www.BoWeaver.com. Oh, there you go. You don't want to forget that. Yeah, because I don't wildcard things because I got other servers in my DNS besides the website. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
So everybody out there, have a fantastic week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Bye.